I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Philippians chapter number 1. But I also want you to hold that place there and go to Acts chapter 16. And uh, I want to speak to you this morning a message called Abiding Joy. And uh, if there's one thing that you can take away from the message today is that even through difficult, difficult times, um, you can have the joy of the Lord. And God can give you that joy. I'm going to use a little pointer this morning. Alex, if you could bring that to me, the pointer. I think it's still over there. It might be up here, but there it is. And so I'll use that in just a moment. But I want you to think with me for a moment and give you, for the way of introduction, uh, we're going to talk about a church. And a lot of times we're wondering about these churches that are mentioned in the New Testament. And so to be able to share with you uh, and, and help you understand I thought I would actually put up a map and show you a little bit uh, about where the Church of Philippi was. And uh, when we think about churches, we'll, and we think about the, the letter, letters that Paul wrote to these churches, and there are individuals that he wrote to also, um, but when he wrote to these churches, he had a desire to lift them up and to encourage them. And a lot of times when we're looking at 1 Corinthians or we're looking at uh, the, the, the the Ephesians, and, and we're looking at this, these particular letters, we're seeing that sometimes there were doctrinal problems that he was going to rebuke them in some areas. There was going to be correction happening. If we look at 1 Corinthians, it, it was um, instruction in the first letter, construction in the second letter. And so there was a method for his teaching uh, he, he was for, and for his letter. But this particular letter is pretty unique because the, the letter to the church at Philippi is a letter that came from the heart of the Apostle Paul to a group of people that really meant a lot to him. And it was on his first missionary journey that he was able to come to Philippi. And if we were to see where it is located in northern Greece, um, kind of interesting because when we're looking at the scriptures, we'll, we'll see... Um, We'll see that there are, there are like the letter to the Galatians. See, here's Galatia here. So when he's talking about the letter to the Galatians, it wasn't a letter to a city. It was a whole region. And so this is the region of Galatia here. Uh, Asia Minor might be, might be a term that you might be heard. And Turkey's here, of course, today. Um, and this is, of course, up in this area is Macedonia. And so that's what we're going to read about here in the book of Acts. That's a region. Uh, many of you uh, have an opportunity to go to the restaurants in the area here. There's one on Broadway. Uh, there's another one now. It's, uh, Sunny's in, in, um, in Cottage Grove. And uh, these are people that are from Macedonia. So they've come here, the Albanians, you know, and, and all of the, these people have come here because America is so wonderful. And that's what we're trying to keep America wonderful, by the way. Um, and again, only God can do that. We can get frustrated trying to do it. But uh, we've got to stay the course and do our part. You know, I thought about this morning. God blessed our land because people went to church and honored him on Sunday mornings. That's why he blessed our land. Just I thought that, I'll pull that in a little bit today. But in, if you look over in this area, it's called Achaia. See that there? So that's where the Corinthians was. Of course, we were able to uh, look at that as being... Uh, lower, lower Greece, if you would. 
Um, and so these are actually regions. And this little bitty city here, he writes to, but a beautiful place, if you were to go on the Algean Sea and you were to go to the shore, you have to go nine miles up over a hillside down to a beautiful setting where Philippi was. And so this was actually a functioning city that was there, named after uh, uh, one of their kings and so on. Um, And so to give you the location of it and let you know a little bit more about the church, I want you to look at the book of Acts, if you would, with me. Um, And we could read the whole chapter, but we don't have time to do that. So I want to pick it up at verse number 6. And now we're with Paul, and he's on his his, uh, first missionary journey. And and if you could leave that that map up for me, because I want to point out a few things here. in a little bit, look at verse number 6. It says, Now and when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, and after were come to Messiah, they answered to go into Bithynia, or they essayed to go, but the Spirit suffered them not. So twice now the Spirit is leading. These men are saying that it's not good for me to go that direction. There's some reason the door is closing in that particular area. And so rather than to force the door and to grieve the spirit, there is then a moving forward. In verse number eight, and they passing by Messiah or Mysia and down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him saying, come over unto Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately uh, we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. So I have an opportunity, folks, to have some good food at one of these restaurants, and then afterwards ask the people where they're from. Now, you may not do that. You may say that's kind of being bold. I want to know where people are from, because I may have been where they have lived. And I want to say hi to them. And if I can say hi to them in their language, that's really neat. And so many times I'll ask them. And so recently I had a man tell me that he was from Macedonia. And so I said, did you know that Macedonia is a word that's in the book of Acts? And I was able to take my Bible and show him that his land where he was born and raised was mentioned in the scriptures, and the Apostle Paul was desiring to go to Macedonia because of the call, come and help bring the gospel to this region. That man in the vision was earnestly desiring for his people to be saved, and he was actually desiring for Paul to bring his men and come help them with the gospel there. It was being preached. Look at verse number 11. And therefore, loosing loosing from Troas... We came with a straight course to Samothraica, and then next to Neapolis, we see that on the map, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city, that part of Macedonia, the capital of Macedonia, and it's a colony, and we were in that city abiding certain days. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a river where, it, where, where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the woman, women, which resorted there. So now the Apostle Paul is listening to the call. Men are saying, come help us. He comes. On the Sabbath day, he goes down to the river, and there is asking for them to pray there. The Christians that were there, people that were there, come and pray. And it says that there was a certain woman, verse number 14, named Lydia, a seller of purple, 
of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, and she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. Now, where was she from? She was from another place. In fact, if you were to look at, at where Thyatira was, right here is where she was born, right above Smyrna on the map. And so that's quite a, quite a long ways from here to be up in Philippi. Now, what was she doing up there? She was a seller of purple. She was, she was able to make, uh, to make good income. That was the color of the time. And a lot of times it was double, um, doubly, it was a little bit more of a coarser uh, material. It wasn't um, chinzy. It was very expensive. And so she was actually selling that. But she lived up there. But that's where she was from. She was from Thyatira. Pretty important that the Bible notes that. But it says in verse 15, and when she was baptized, of course, the Lord opened her heart. She was saved. And by the way, baptism is for those that have trusted Christ as their personal Savior first, and then they were baptized by immersion in the water. And if we were to do a study on this, you would see that the early church, they have actually photographs of the underground church, if you would, in Rome. They actually had... Um, small pools made so that they could baptize people. We baptize folks this year, and uh, we've done it by immersion. It's because it shows the, the burying of the Lord and the rising again, buried in the likeness of his death, and then raised in the likeness of his resurrection to walk in newness of life. And when she was baptized in her household, so her whole household trusted Christ, she besought us, saying, if you have judged me uh, to, to be faithful to the Lord, then come into my house and abide there, and she constrained us. And so we see, first of all, that Philippi was actually a place where people had gotten saved. The Spirit of God opened the hearts of the people. God may be opening your heart right now. You, you may have been shying back from salvation, saying, I don't need to be saved. I don't need that Christianity stuff. I don't need religion. You do not need religion. You need Jesus Christ. You need him in your heart, in your, in your life. And you just don't need to know about God. You need to know God. You need to not just know about things, but believe that he is, exists and that his, his spirit will bear witness in your spirit. And you need, in these hard days we're living in, you need Christ. And you need him to, 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 to be with you. And he desires to know you. And he, he, he already does. And, but he desires that you actually would know him. And he's calling out here people. But it's interesting, again, because what happens here is uh, the Apostle Paul, at that first missionary journey, goes through a real difficult time at Philippi. It looks all good at first, you know, people getting saved and things happening. And by the way... Um, it's not always going to be an easy road for a church. You think that, that this is the growth and this new part of what's happening, that, that everything would be peachy for the Apostle Paul. It wasn't. There was demonic forces that came along to try to mess them up, and those are the verses that you'll read later on in, in this, after other verses I just read to you. But then it's interesting what happens because he goes into prison, and he's actually beaten there. Um... Let's go to the next slide if we can. I, I think a lot of times we forget that, um, that God sometimes allows his people to be put in prison. I was thinking about John MacArthur's comments recently that if you put me in prison, um, I, I've never started a jail ministry anyway, so maybe it would be good. 
you know. Uh, his church is open today. Um, they are meeting. Like him or not, he's standing up for what is important for us to have the liberty that we've had. And, and where are the men standing up for what is right? Folks, we're going to lose it all if we don't have some men stand up and do what we need to do. And I'm talking about men of God, absolutely, but also people that are in the assembly and people that are in a position of authority in this country need to stand up and tell the truth concerning our Constitution and why we exist as a, as, as a, as a nation. And, and I want to just encourage you, that, and my desire is to help you and understand and help you understand that even though things got real difficult for the Apostle Paul, his joy never left him. In fact, he's, he's actually writing this letter from prison. Now, not this particular event that we're going to read about, because look what happens in verse number 25, if you would, of Acts chapter 16. A lot goes on. There's the spreading of the word of God. There's also this difficulty coming, and then there's the, uh, there's the um, imprisonment. There is this uh, strange person following them and so on. Um, but then it says in verse 25, it says, And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed. Now they're in, 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 in prison. Look what happens in verse 22. It says, And the multitude rose up together against them in the magistrates and uh, rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. Now, when it says that they rent their clothes off, it says that basically they, took all, they, had, they, were, they were basically naked, these men were. How humiliating. The apostle Paul with his men were humiliated here in the text. And it says in verse number uh, 23, and when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to, to, to keep them safely. Now, if we just for a moment in our mind this morning think about a prison that these men were thrown into, and the prisons weren't like the prisons we have today. I have a jail ministry I get to go in and I get to see what they have. They have the coffee makers. They have the clocks. They have, they have, they have a lot of things. They're, they're very fortunate to live in this country and to be incarcerated because of how we do it, the civil way of doing it. Turn to the next page, if you would. This is actually a, uh, what it would look like, the Roman prison. I was able to find this picture and then, and then make a copy and just put a note above it that this is what it looked like. They were actually put into that prison uh, through that gate. You'd actually go down in, and it was damp, and it was uh, not like it is today. Um, and and the, the rights were taken completely from that person. Now, this wasn't a long prison stay for him. If you can go back to the next page, or back to the previous page, page uh, slide number two uh, for me, and look at your Bible. It says, that, that it says in verse number 24, who having received such a charge, thrust them into in, in, in inner prison and, and made their feet fast in the stocks. And so they were actually beaten. They didn't have any clothes on. This is actually for your, your vision. They, they put clothes on them. But their, their backs were, were completely uh, whipped. They were beaten. They, they were probably foodless. They were hungry. They were tired. And then they put their feet, according to the scripture, they were put in stocks. And so this isn't something that we're making up. This is actually God's men were put in prison and they were struggling. My goodness, if we get a little bit of a cold, we don't want to do something for God today. These men were doing great things for God and they were put in prison. But it's interesting if you look at verse number 25. 
Verse number 25 says, And at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. Because, of course, the Roman uh, law was that they would be, if your prisoner escapes on your watch, you'd be put to death. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. And then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. He did, listening to them praying, listening to them singing, and this is happening, and they're still there. He wrought them out look at, and said, Sirs, what must I do to what? To be saved. And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Same thing that happened to, if you would, back here in verse number 14 of, of chapter 16 of the book of Acts, we see that Lydia was saved in her household, and so was the Philippian jailer. So you say that these two people, this is just record of just these two people got saved. This is the church of Philippi. This is the place we're talking about. You can go ahead and take those slides down, if you would, and, uh, and go ahead and pull the screen up. But the church of Philippi was located in northern Greece, and it was a region of Macedonia. And Paul, of course, had the vision. We saw all that in, verse, in chapter 16, and people were converted. We saw that. But, it, but, but the Bible actually records him being in prison, and the historians are saying that it may have been that 25% of those years that Paul was alive ministering, 25% were in prison. Pretty interesting when we think about it. It goes on to say, and I was reading this from an article that someone wrote, Paul may have spent as much as 25% of his time as a missionary in prison, and we know of the brief lockup at the church at Philippi. Two years he was incarcerated at Caesarea, and at least another two years in Rome. And yet Paul says that he experienced far more imprisonments than any of his opponents. So to understand Paul, we need to understand where he spent much of his time. And prison for him was, this time, a bloody ordeal. Roman imprisonment was preceded by being stripped naked and then flogged and humiliating, uh, pa- humiliatingly painful and, blood- and bloody. The bleeding wounds went untreated. Prisoners sat in the pain, pain in their legs, pain on their wrists, mutilated, blood-stained clothes was not replaced. Even in the cold winters, they would sit in a cell, freezing and shivering after being beaten. In this final imprisonment, Paul, of course, was asked for a cloak, the imprisonment in which he is going to write these, the Church of Philippi, because of the cold. Most cells were dark, especially in the inner cells of the prison, the one that he was thrown into, like the one in Paul and Silas when they were at Philippi. Unbearably cold, lack of water, cramped quarters, sickening stench from few toilets, made sleeping difficult, and many waking hours kept them from getting the rest they needed. Male and female prisoners were sometimes incarcerated together. Prison food, when available, was poor, and most prisoners had to provide for their own food, and many times it was brought into the prison. 
I think it's interesting as we think about this, because of this miserable condition, many prisoners would actually beg to be put to death. This is the kind of scenario that the Apostle Paul went through, but yet he would say that you needed to rejoice always, and again I say rejoice. When he wrote the book of Philippians, he desired for those that were going to get the letter to know that no matter what comes into their life, that they could have a tremendous amount of peace. Now, I want you to see this with me, if you would, as way of introduction still. I haven't got to the message yet, but I'll probably end with just the introduction, and then we'll go home downstairs and eat. We'll see what happens. But I want you to look at Philippians chapter 1 with me, because there, there, you need to understand this, and I need to understand this. That as, an, as a prisoner of Jesus Christ, he calls himself a prisoner, he calls himself a servant, calls himself a slave. Paul's viewpoint was to keep your mind where it should be, and your mind needs to be on Christ. Remember uh, where uh, the Bible says in chapter 2 of Philippians, chapter 2, verse number 5, where it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Remember that verse? Let this mind be in you. That word mind is the word phroneo, like hold the phone closer to your ear, phone, phoneo, but put an R on it. Phroneo is how you say the word for mind that's used here. And it means to exercise your mind, to be able to exercise your mind like Jesus did and exercise your mind in the humility that Jesus Christ had. And that's what's basically being said in chapter 2, because he humbled himself. He humbled himself as a servant, and he laid down his life for those he came to serve. That kind of humility, that you're willing to do that. Now, that's the mindset, but watch this. In chapter 1, if you were to take your pen, you would actually find that in chapter 1 alone, 18 times Paul mentions the word Christ. Jesus Christ is mentioned 18 times in 30 verses. That's amazing to me. You can actually see what was on the mind of Christ. So let this mind be in you. Let his mind be in you. The way we do that is keep our mind and keep our attention focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the first thing that we can say, that the reason why Paul was able to sit down and so sound and so sane and so sensible, but yet joyfully writing out to the church at Philippi, no admonitions, just nothing but love and goodness to the people. His first missionary journey that these people got saved, they came to Christ, and the Apostle Paul was dedicated to them. He was dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there are, these, are, these are relevant scriptures, I really believe, that, that for us today, that no matter what we go through, we can have that abiding joy within us. So how do we do that? And I just want to give you just a few things to think about this morning uh, as far as abiding joy. Abiding joy comes, first of all, I believe, from a perpetual confidence in Christ. So you say, well, how can I have the joy of the Lord? Put your trust in him. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not into thine own understanding in all thy ways. Acknowledge him and he will direct thy path. Are you having a little trouble with your joy this morning? then let me just encourage you. Trust the Lord. Put your trust in Him. 
Be confident in him. You say, well, my confidence isn't where it should be. Your confidence isn't where it should be is because you're not having God thoughts. You're not letting Christ be on your brain all the time. You're not in the scriptures like we need to be. You say, well, I don't have the, the strength that I need. Strength comes from joy, and joy comes from having a confidence in Jesus Christ. That's the issue, and that's what's being sent to this church at Philippi, the saying, you know, no matter what happens to you in the future, in this one thing, be confident in this one thing. He's saying to them, some of the commentators were actually saying in verse number five, what he was talking about, for your fellowship in the gospel from this first day until now, that was the confidence. I don't think so. I, I believe in verse number six, the confidence he's talking about is the confidence that God lives within them and that God is continuing to work in them and God is going to make them into what they need to be. Their confidence needs to be in Christ, Jesus, our Lord, and so does your confidence. It needs to be in the Lord. I think we go back and understand that God desires for us to have that confidence in him. Now, let me just share with you that my earnestness this morning and my passion is not because I'm angry. My passion is because I really believe that we miss it sometimes because we want to go to church and we want to please God, but sometimes we think that our actions please him. Our actions do. Our labor encourages him. But what he desires is that work of faith in your heart. And this is what the Apostle Paul was driving home to the church at Philippi. Abiding joy comes from a perpetual confidence in Christ. He is the source of our confidence. And my confidence comes from him. The subject of the confidence, of course, is going to be that work of faith. And then to stay, my stay of confidence is going to be in the Holy Spirit that I would trust God, to be able to do in me that work and be able to perform it in me, that he would continue to break me down at times into where I need to be because the, the pride gets there and pride gets in you. And so God allows us to go through those valleys and through those difficult times and through those afflictions and through those hurts. God allows you to go through that because he wants us to be able to rely upon him and have our confidence in him. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 118, verse number eight, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put your confidence in man. He said in verse number nine also of, of Psalm 118, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put your confidence in princes. So our confidence is not in men. Our confidence is not something that we can see. Our confidence is not in the White House or the right decision being made. Our confidence is in the God of heaven that he is on his throne and he rules and he reigns. And hallelujah for a God like that that continues to rule and reign all over the world today. They need Jesus Christ. Uh, it's important for us to know that the main thing is that our stay and our foundation and our ability to be confident in what we do, we go back to keeping our minds on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's also mentioned in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse number 2. The word mind is mentioned, but it's a different word. It's not the same word. It's not the pronao word. It's the word annoy or something like that. It's a different word completely. Where he's talking about the, the mind again. So this tells me that this specific word that Paul wanted us to know, that we need to exercise our mind in Christ continually. We need to renew the mind daily. And sometimes we need to remove it twice or three or four times a day to renew it constantly in Christ and saying, Lord, my thinking is off. Please renew me. I yield to you. Come, help me to think the way I need to think. And by the way, the, the most uh, helpful thing is for us to be in the scriptures and to read the Bible. And, and, and by the way, you don't need someone to teach you 
The Holy Spirit is there to teach you and to give you what you need as you continue on to stay. So his confidence, and he had that confidence, but it was a trustfulness in God's power and in God's love. What a work that was done in him, in the Apostle Paul. He'd take Christians and he would, he would beat them and, and he would have them killed. But now it's completely different now. Look at his heart with me, if you would. Let me read a few more verses in chapter 1. Look at verse number 7. It says, And even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, and as much as both in my bonds or in my chains and in defense and the confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers of my grace. The power that God gives me, that grace and that ability to be graceful, if you would, to be full of, of, of kindness and to be able to show grace. And, and to remember that God's grace authentically will give us the power to live pure in an evil world. That's why he gives us that grace. And when it talks about falling from grace, if you would, in, in, in Hebrews uh, chapter number 12, he's not talking about falling away from being saved. It, it's talking about going to an, another position besides Staying in the grace that God gave you. And, and, and don't let grace fail you, because it won't unless you let it. God's grace is there. You can go to him because he'll give you that grace. He'll, he'll give you that comfort. You say, well, I've tried this before and I'm struggling again. Go again, dear friend. Get up again. Continue to go forward with Christ because he will give you the strength and be confident in him. That kind of heart change was done in the Apostle Paul, and even as it was meet for me to think this of you all using the mind of Christ. Verse number eight, for God is my record, how greatly I long after you all. In, in the bowels of Jesus Christ, he's saying the inward affection of Christ, and he's given me that love for you. And now I'm asking God to help you. Look at verse number nine. In this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in common sense. Judgment is the word, but it means sense, in, in common sense, and that you would have the kind of love that you need for people. And I think a lot of times we need to look for people to help and to love and to care for. Instead of always trying to be seen and trying to be up front, why don't you be a servant for Christ? This is the way the Apostle Paul worked. I'm gonna just going to brag just a minute on my wife. She gets me a call Wednesday night. Now, we were done. Wednesday night services were done. By the way, Grace Baptist Church has Wednesday night services, by the way, 7 o'clock. Bible study, prayer meeting, come together, where I was all done in my office, and guess what I was watching? I was watching two cats fighting. I don't know if you saw that or not. After the service, uh, the debate between, um, actually, uh, anyway, uh, I better stay focused. So, and I get this call, and she says, is there anyone that, she texts me, is there anyone in the deacon's fund? I thought, well, you know, I, I don't have keys to that. I, I don't even want to know how much is in there. Um, sometimes I'll ask them because then, because the money goes to the people. And, and so I said, you know, I think there must be something in there. Why? Honey? And she just starts, she starts, she, she says, there's a lady here that needs some help. So I, I figured she'll do it. I said, just give her some money, Danny. You know, just give it to her. You know, I would rather empty my wallet to someone and be raptured by Christ the next day than to have a money full of wallet and say nothing, say, don't give, it to, don't give anybody anything. This is just the way I live my life. Just give it to them, you know. No big deal. Uh, so anyway, I get home, and she, she's sitting on the bed, and I'm sitting in a chair, and I'm 
thumbed through the, watching Fox News a little bit, see if there's anything going on that's worth watching, you know. And she says, I got to tell you about this lady I met at Walgreens. I went out, she's homeless, she's sitting on the curb. And when I started talking to her, I sat down next to her, and I, I started, I, she unraveled her, her legs, and she had an accident in her ankles. One of her ankles had screws coming out of the side of it, you know, where the screws, they're still within the skin, but you could see them sticking out, you know, and she, was, and she couldn't work, and she smelled, and she, she lives in a park, and she had her thing stolen, and she's going on, and she said she needed some money. I said, well, you did give it to her. Yeah, I gave it to her some money. And I thought to myself, you know, is there something we can do for her? Is there some kind of a home we can get her into? We could use our home. Is there, is there some place that we can help these people that really need help? You see, sometimes we waste so much time doing nothing. And remember, when we do none to the least of these, you've done none to him. And my wife took $40 out of her wallet and gave it to her and said, here, you know, you take this. Now, I'm counting on you. Don't use it for something wrong. She said, 20 of this is going to go for a room tonight because i got a place where I can go, but I have to come there at 11 o'clock, and then I give the person $20, and they'll let me sleep through the night into the, so I can get out on the street the next day. Are there people like that today in the world? Absolutely. Are there people, were there people like that in Philippi? Absolutely. And Paul had this kind of passion And I believe the Lord Jesus Christ had this kind of compassion. And he was moved with his mercy. And many times the word mercy in the New Testament is the same word for compassion. That he had compassion. And he has compassion upon us through our difficult times. I think that our our confidence and our joy must come from him. Look at verse number 9 again. It says, This I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in judgment or common sense, that you may approve the things so you'll be able to discern what things that are excellent and that, and that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory, of course, and praise unto God. There's so much here, dear friends. But I believe the first thing really is to understand, first of all, that abiding joy comes from a perpetual confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ that he will take care of you. The second thing I want to bring out is abiding joy comes from a personal conversion in Christ. Look at verse number, number, number six again. Being confident of this very thing. Okay, So a perpetual confidence, and by the way, with that, it's a continual action. Um, there was a guy in our church years ago here in Madison, 1975, his name is Rudy Wagert. He got saved on the street. They brought him in for the Sunday evening service. And you know what he was doing? He was shaking hands with everybody, Rudy. He was like, how you doing? You know, just shaking hands. He'd go around. You know, they're playing. The, the piano's playing, and people are coming to church and stuff. And here's Rudy walking around going, how you doing? Good to see you. Good to see you. Hey, hey, how you doing? Ah, yeah. I'm thinking, who is this guy full of this energy? You know what he's still doing today? After all of these years, he's in church going, how's it going? Hey, how's it going? Is God good to you? God changed him. He changed him. He gave him purpose gave him direction, and God can do that for you and give you the joy of the Lord. In fact, I don't know where he gets his strength from. He had both knees replaced this last week. I heard about that. Rudy Waggert, what a blessing. Lori Waggert, his wife, uh, I used to call her an angel because she was my bus secretary back in the day. And, and this is really a sidetrack, and this is, this is free. I'm going to tell you the story. Yeah. She was my secretary, and she would take care of the kids when they came in. Now, get this. I'm only 14. 
14 and a half. And so I had bringing these kids in, and, th- and this one time I went to this lady's house, and, and, I, and I picked up the baby, and the baby had a medicine diaper, and I put the baby right here on my hip. I took the other one by the hand, and I took him out to the bus, you know? And when I got to the bus, I smelled something really bad, so I, I put the little child down, and I pulled that baby out, and, and not everything came with the baby. <laughs> she left me a present. I was only 14. I was full of mischief. And I said, Lori, can you hold the baby for a moment for me? So she had a beautiful white dress on. Yeah, shame on me, right? I had so much fun with that story. Still do, Lori. Sorry about that. We both were able to get rides home, and I was able to change my clothes because we had to take all the kids home, you know, from the bus ministry. But I'm telling you, she remained faithful. And that lady, that poor lady who had all of those children, was living in a little poor apartment here in Madison, Wisconsin. And you know what? I don't know where she's at, but guess what? I'm going to see her someday. I'm going to see her in heaven. I'm going to see her. Maybe her children got saved. I don't know. Our parents moved away, and we moved away from that particular ministry. But I believe that God still works in there. And I think it's important for us to know that God will give us that perpetual joy. It'll be there. You keep the lights burning. Keep yielded to God. Stay humble and stay at it. And God will give you the joy you need to continue on. Amen. Paul had this confidence He had a confident trustfulness in God's power and God's love. But also abiding joy comes from a personal conversion in Christ. And I want you to see that. It says being confident is the very thing that he which began a good work in you. He began a good work. That's the word in trabajo in Spanish. It means energy to actually, the work that God has done in you. It was God doing it. He, he caused you to kneel and to receive him. It was him that, that constantly begging you to come, 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 I'll take care of you. And you did. You bowed down. You bowed your knee to a God in heaven and said, I can't trust myself, I trust you. Forgive me for my sin. Would you please cleanse me and make me what I ought to be, dear Lord? And you put your confidence in him and he did a work in you. Now let me get this to you. Help understand is that we're talking about a work that's going on within you. That's that desire. Right now you have that. That's the Spirit of God leading you to him. It's not, again, Christ is, is 18 times Christ is mentioned. It was a Christ-centered first chapter, okay? You need a Christ-centered relationship with God. You need to put Christ, in, and it's Christ that will work in you. It's not good programs at a church. It's not wonderful music. It's not wonderful ushers or great technology. It is Christ working in you, and he will draw you to himself. Stop looking for the most popular thing and go to your knees to him, and he will give you the strength you need to be confident in these days because he'll do the work in you. And Paul knew that. He mentioned it in many of his letters. He talked about the work of faith, the labor of love, and the patience of hope. They're all in all of his letters. But the first thing is that work of faith, that God begins to work in you. And you begin to say, I need to place my confidence and my faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, not my own. It is Christ alone. And so we have that abiding joy comes from a personal conversion. If you had that personal conversion to Christ, I hope you have. I hope you've come to him. 
just simply bowed your head and said, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. And I put the confidence in your work on Calvary because, dear friend, God wants to declare you righteous. He wants to impute his righteousness unto you. He wants to give it to you, but you can't get it if you have your own. If you're on this big mountain of legality, you're saying, look all the things that I've done. I've done this. I went to church all these years. I went through all, look at all the paperwork that I've done. I've accomplished all these things. Oh, if you can understand that the Apostle Paul accomplished much more than we ever did. But he says, I count that all as dung. It's like, it's like put it in a manure pile and give me Christ and Christ alone. That's where my confidence is. It's not in all of the works and accomplishments. It's letting God work in you. This is where we really get effective in our walk with God is when we rely upon him and say, Lord, I can't do this. I rely upon you working in me. And oh, he works in us so wonderful. He opens up the heart's uh, hallways and cleans them out. He, he, he opens up those closets and he's able to take all of that junk out of there and put in love and peace and joy and contentment and happiness and long-suffering with others. And then there's temperance and all of those things. That's what God wants to do. He wants to work in you. And that's what he's saying here. This one thing I want you to know, be confident that God did the work in you That's powerful. But the last thing I want you to think about abiding joy comes from a patient hope for the coming of Christ. And look what it says here. It says here that God is going to accomplish it. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now watch this, friends, because this is all helps us understand. He's writing to the saints in Philippi. Is he not? Look at verse number one. He's writing to the saints Now, ministries that say that you have to have all kinds of miracles to become a saint is not telling you the truth. Every person who has trusted Christ as their personal Savior has become a saint in Christ, a holy person that's been set aside to become what... Now, this makes more responsibility on us because we ought to be living up to our name, amen? But he writes to the saints that are at Philippi. So if he's writing to the saints, who is, who is uh, verse number 5 for? It's for the church there at Philippi. He that started that great work in you. Remember the Riverside? Remember the Philippian jailer? All of that stuff in the beginning? God is going to continue on all the way to the end. He's going to finish it in you, church. God will continue on to give you what you need if you just continue to go forward. Because he will, he will complete it. God started the work. And by the way, Don't you like it when you finish a project? I mean, God's still working on me, isn't he? I'm not what I used to be. I'm not quite what I should be because God's still working on me. But this confidence should be placed in Christ and knowing that he did the work in me and he will perform it. He will finish it. Remember, he is the author and the finisher of our faith. And remember that he will keep us until the day of glory when we see him, see the Lord in the air. And so I want you to know that God continues to work in us and God wants to give us that kind of hope. And this was the message for, of course, the church at Philippi. And I think we see the evidence, by the way, here. I think there's three things that I want to close with. The first thing is that you have evidence by showing that you're surrendered to the Lord. 
Are you selective in what you do for him? Are there only, only the most seen tasks? Only the most applauded tasks are what you'll do for the Lord? Or would you do something for him that nobody sees? I was thinking about one of our church members down there sweeping the garage out, cleaning everything up, get it all ready for the boys' class. Everybody's gone out of here. Church is pretty much closed, and there's a deacon still walking around, turning the lights off, turn everything down. Comes here before anybody's here, make sure the heat's on, make sure the air's on. Are you surrendered? Evidence of a person who has this confidence in the Lord will be surrendered. They also will be submissive. You submit one to another. There is this desire to be helped and to be used, but work together. And then lastly, there's satisfaction. It's evidence that a person is confident in what the Lord has done. We all need to be remembering that this God who began a good work in you will finish it until it's completely done. You say, but I've failed. We all have. We all have. Well, I, I can't really own up to what I need to be. None of us can without Christ because we all miss the mark. We can do this. No matter how intelligent you are or no matter how ignorant you may seem or you may think you are, you can be faithful unto a God who called you and will finish in working in you and he'll, he'll actually keep you until the final curtain is drawn and the rapture has taken place and you're in his presence. And I can't wait till that happens. But until then, we must stay confident in the Lord Jesus Christ. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, Pastor Howell, I know Jesus is my Savior, but I haven't been faithful to him. I need to be serious about my walk with him. He's been calling me. He's been working on me for now for a couple of months. No one's looking around and you'd say, Pastor, would you please pray for me? I'm saved, but I, I need some prayer. I believe God is working in me again, and I want to yield to him. Is there anyone like that? Just lift up your hand and put it back down again. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you. Maybe you're a servant of the Lord and you do a lot of work around here, but you still want to yield even more to him. Praise the Lord for that. Maybe you feel like you can't do this. Take that first step and he'll meet you there. If you need to come and kneel down at an old-fashioned altar, the altar's ready for you to come. But maybe you're here today and you have not taken that first step. The prerequisite to having your confidence fully in the Lord is to first give him your heart. Understand that all are sinners and all fall short of the glory of God. But understand that he loved you even while you were a sinner, he loved you. And he wants to show you. He already did. He showed you by giving his only begotten son to die on the cross for you. The finished work of Jesus Christ is how God showed you that he loved you. And then realize that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you called upon him? Have you done that? If you haven't, why don't you come? Every head bowed and every eye closed. Could you stand to your feet? No one looking around this morning. 
Let's have an invitation. And if you need to come, maybe you have questions about being saved, questions about questions about membership, whatever it is, why don't you come? And if you just need to pray and yield your heart to him, the altar's open for you. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would guide and direct in the invitation in Jesus' name. Amen. One more stanza. If you need to come, step out. If you're being prompted, it's by the Spirit of God. Saying, yes, Lord, yes, have your will and have your way. Thank you, Carolyn. 